Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back for the 55th time to the Triple Threat Theater podcast. My name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. And we have a special guest today coming fresh off of a 14-year run on the Sidetracked podcast. We have the one and only Jesse Munoz. Welcome to the Sidetrack Podcast. My name? <laughs> Je- oh, wait. <laughs> Wrong show. Wrong show. It's got to get it out of my system. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Glad to have you here. Kind of a long time coming. We always knew we'd have you on the mm-hmm. show, but uh, mm-hmm. considering that you and I, up until about now, have had a weekly show or so <laughs> mm-hmm. for the last 14 yeah. years, I always figured you like, you know, we'd, we'd get to him eventually. Yeah. What better time than when I stopped doing the other one? Yeah. So like now you can close out your entire podcasting career as of December 2021 and uh, go cold turkey. Yeah. Be nice. Have you ever been on another podcast aside from Sidetracked? Mm-hmm. I've been on a podcast called the Go Mode Podcast, which is a Link to the Past randomizer podcast. Nice. Nice. Been on that a couple times actually. Yeah. It's funny. That's like that. Like the whole link to the past in your like Twitch gaming career and all that. Like I, I vaguely know of it. You know what you mm-hmm. tell me on sidetracked, but uh, it almost feels like you know I'm your loyal wife, and that's like your other family that you go visit <laughs> yeah. when you're on long road trips yeah. or something. So I don't even know about <laughs> yeah. it really. <laughs> that's like Jesse's Tuesday bowling league. Don't <laughs> <laughs> ever hear about. Yeah, I also did. Um, I don't know if it's technically a podcast. There's a radio show. I think it was the podcast. Like there's a local radio show in Tacoma that covers like geek culture and stuff. Really? And they had me and Brian David Marshall, the writer of the comic book I'm working on, I kickstarted back when we kickstarted it. Uh, we oh. were we went and recorded that show too. We were guests on that show. Awesome. Yeah. You say went and recorded like you actually physically went somewhere to a studio? No, no, no. 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 <laughs> Just well, when you said it was local, I was like, I don't know. Maybe they actually <laughs> went into like a radio station. No, 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 no. It was just we went to the Internet. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground in the podcast game, man. Yeah. I feel like there's something else that I'm forgetting about, but I can't remember because it's been a long. We've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> it all just blurs together after this long. Mm hmm. Well, I mean, what else? Any Magic the Gathering stuff? Is no, I've never been on any track? Magic podcasts. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I guess, I guess, probably what I'm thinking of is side projects that we've done. Where oh, it's, right. We've done sidetrack without each other. Mm-hmm. I did like the, I did like a in the artists table or something. Like, <laughs> remember the James Limpton thing? I did like I a do. version of that. <laughs> Yeah, it's that funny. Um, uh, that was like that was like your little side show that you did, and uh, you can't remember the name. But then, 
I mean, I wasn't really a part of it, but neither can I. Um, I did yeah, like three we interviewed of those. people. <laughs> yeah, I interviewed Corey Smith, who is an artist for IDW and Marvel, and went to school with. Well, we all are. We you and uh, Ryan and I went to school with. He was my RA, um, and then Sophie Campbell, and. Maybe someone else, but I can't remember. Yeah. Didn't you do Carl and did did you do Joel? Oh, I did. Did I do? No, I don't think I did Carl. Did I do Carl? I thought maybe. you did. I thought you did like three or four of them. Yeah, I did. Maybe maybe I did one with Joel. Yeah, it's been a long time. Who's got and these files did... they can send to me? Because <laughs> I'm feeling I listened to them, they're but out. I definitely want to listen to them now. They're out there. And then I did this show with my mom, which a bunch of shows with my mom mm-hmm. uh, covering the MCU. And now you're here, one potentially the now most memorable uh, non-sidetracked <laughs> show you'll ever do. Yeah. Covering sure. all the ground. <laughs> yeah. Only time will tell. Let's make it a good one. What do you say? I hope so. We'll try. Uh, quite the uh, quite the trifecta here. Yeah, the theme for this episode is uh, the pen is mightier than the camera. I believe this was a theme that I came up with. Oh, and yeah. uh, the concept here is that these are three movies written by people who are mostly known for being directors who did not then direct the movies that they wrote. So break it down for the people. What we're dealing with here is uh Rambo first blood part two, which was directed by George P. Cosmatos, but written by James Cameron, who's mostly known for directing black moon rising from 1986 written by John Carpenter, but directed by a guy named Harley Cockless, I think. It's a great name. And uh, True Romance, famously written by Quentin Tarantino, but directed by Tony Scott. Yeah. I had seen all of these before and to some degree or another was a fan of all three. Uh, mm-hmm. How about you guys? Um, for me, just Rambo 2. Yeah. I um, I never seen the uh, Rambo 2 I have vague memories of uh, from when I was a kid. Um, but I never actually saw the full thing. I just had, I had pieces of it because Rambo was a very prominent part of pop culture in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you see Rambo and there's like toys and stuff. It was like, oh yeah, you want to be, be like Rambo. So, so for me is three pretty much fresh movies, even though, uh, you know, I had bits and pieces of, of Rambo first blood part two. So you hadn't seen, neither of you had seen True Romance before? Correct. No. Oh. I was well aware of like the Dennis Hopper stuff because I think they just, at whatever point in the past, made the rounds pretty regularly online, which I think we've discussed too, Millsy, about like me knowing that part. But, you know, when I sat down, I was like, yeah, I haven't seen any of this movie besides that part. Hmm. I didn't see, any, I didn't know nothing about True Man's, uh, Romance other than it was written by Quentin Tarantino. So it was <laughs> yeah. on my list of like, kind of must-sees. Nice. I've always kind of known, like, the, the legend of that movie, like him writing the script and, like, being his foot in the door, kind of, or whatever it is with Hollywood for Quentin. So, but yeah, I never saw it. It was probably on my, like, uh, wall of shame, I guess. Oh. Yeah, I had, uh, the first time I saw True Romance was when I was in high school. Uh, every now and then... I mean, it's like a tradition that I kind of carried over into um, the Kubert school, especially in our first year there, 
when uh, Jesse and Joel and I were there in school where like every Tuesday uh, I would like pack some friends into the car and we would drive to like the mall or to Best Buy or somewhere. And because that's the day that like new movies came out and I wouldn't always be guaranteed to buy a brand new movie, but I would always buy a movie on Tuesday and then we would like go back to the mm. house and, uh, mm-hmm. and watch it. And I did a version of that when I was in high school where, uh, there was a store, like a local chain called record and tape traders. And, um, they did a lot of like, you know, discount used movie sales. And that's where like my DVD collection exploded back when I was in high school. But um, I, I remember going to Best Buy with a friend and blind buying True Romance. I had never heard of it, but like the DVD copy I have is like a special edition two disc version. And on the back, like the top of the back cover is just like eight photos of cast members. And it's just like Christian Slater, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. I was like, what? This movie has to be amazing. (laughs) Right. And so, like, I bought it, and I don't remember what I thought of it in high school, but um, it had been a while since I'd seen it, but I still have that DVD, uh, which is what I watched for this show. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Black Moon Rising, sometime after graduating from the Kubert School when I got my Netflix account and I was still getting the uh, physical discs in the mail. Uh, you know, I've talked about it on sidetracked and I think on here about how that was a time period where I was just like trying everything and anything and like got into David Cronenberg and like watched all his movies and Martin Scorsese. And I did the same thing for John Carpenter where it's like, I always loved the thing and vampires and a couple of his movies, but I was like, let me watch everything he's done. And that's how I came across black moon rising for the first time, even though You know, he didn't direct it. And then Rambo 2, actually, (laughs) I had never seen any of the Rambo movies, despite being like a big action fan and uh, and a movie fan in my youth until I think after high school, uh, like I bought the first three in like a, you know, five dollar bin at Walmart or something. And so this was only my second time watching Rambo First Blood Part 2. And uh I kind of wanted to rewatch the first one because I've only seen it once and it's been a long time, but uh, time makes fools of us all. Yeah. I'll say, um, well, first, I think, Jesse, you did say, can we refer to this as Rambo 2, which I do say, yes, we will refer to it as Rambo 2 because First Blood 2, Rambo, or whatever it Rambo is. Rambo First Blood Part 2 is the stupidest title. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it is Rambo 2. So I like grew up on Rambo 3, of all things. And I think it was just, it must have been on TV or HBO or something all the time, or they were just really pushing, like, the Cold War propaganda, because I think he kills, like, a lot more Russians in that one. <laughs> but I can remember that always being on, and and having seen two, like, a few times, but not nearly as much as three. And then the first one I didn't see until, like, maybe even high school. I think I might watch it for the first time with Joel, because he is already, like, a fan of it. Mm-hmm. Him and Stallone go way back. That's true. I mean, me, for we were like a Rocky family. We watched all of Rockies regularly, but it's basically Rockies and Rambo 3. I actually purchased all of the Rambos to watch this movie. <laughs> oh, that oh. was it like a digital deal on the... Uh, yeah. Like it was like iTunes 10 bucks to, to buy it or like $4 to rent it. Or mm-hmm. you can get all like six, five or six. And I can't remember how many there are. Five for at this point. A five, so all for thirty bucks. 
I mean, so, it's not a bad deal. Yeah. I like, I love one. One is great. Yeah. So if this was your first time seeing two, have you seen the other three at all? I have, I've seen the, I think the one's just called Rambo. The one from like 2008 or 2010 or something. Yeah, it was like his, yeah. him coming back to the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. AKA Rambo 4. Yeah. So I guess. That, yeah. <laughs> I've seen that one. I enjoy that one too. I haven't seen the newest oh, yeah. one, but I, I like that one a lot. I also mm-hmm. love Chris Pratt's reenactment of it on Parks and Recreation. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I think I'd rather watch that than the newest one myself. But. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen the new one. I haven't seen three, so. <laughs> well, now's the time, now that you own them all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, pretty much. <laughs> True Romance is, of course, on HBO Max, so. Uh, yes, same. <laughs> Your favorite. Got that. Yeah, definitely. You had to get the uh, HBO Max plug in here. And <laughs> yeah, then, look, uh, we have the uh, we get paid to mention HBO Max on sidetrack, but not this show. So, <laughs> cool, cool your jets, there, buddy. And then the other movie, which the title I'll never remember. I'll never remember what the title is. I could look at it like right now, and then a minute later, I'll never remember what it is. It was on Hoopla of all things, so I rented no. it through the oh. library. Yeah. Luckily, I had a random DVD of Black Moon Rising, which I know I didn't purchase, but thanks to old Millsy here. Was it an actual DVD or a burned DVD? No, it was it was a it was a burned with that fancy Miller letter. Oh, that definitely came from me when I upgraded the Blu-ray. Though. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. There's no denying where that came from. Is that what you did? You used to burn Netflix DVDs? It is. Back in the nice. early early days of Netflix. Um, I would like rent something and if I liked it, I would burn it and then send it back. <laughs> it's a pro move. Yeah. So that was a good like 2007, 2008. I, uh, I must have rented that one for the first time. But now I have the beautiful Kino Lorber Blu ray on my shelf. Hmm. Of Black Moon Rising? Of Black Moon Rising. Yep. Oh, for man. just such an occasion. Wow. So. All right. All right. I mean, I got I got fifteen hundred movies out there. I mean, there's a good chance anything you can think of happens to be out there. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, any other uh, opening thoughts, or should we dive into our first ooh, film? I'm ready. I'm so excited to talk about these movies. <laughs> Let's get into awesome. it. All right. Well, uh, first up, we have from 1985 the accurately titled Rambo: First Blood Part Two. The war, everything that happened here may be wrong, but damn it, don't hate your country for it. Hey, I die for it. And what is it you want? I want what they want, and every other guy who came over here. He spilt his guts and gave everything he had once for our country to love us as much as we love it. That's what I want. The original title for this movie was apparently First Blood Part 2 The Mission, which is kind of an equally bad title. (laughs) Yeah. But... I don't know. Personally, I hate the uh, the trend of uh, like the fourth or fifth film in a franchise just being like the character's name, like last name or mm. first name. So like yeah. how you have like Rocky, Rocky two, II, Rocky three, Rocky four, Rocky five, and then Rocky Balboa. I hate that shit. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'll take Rambo: First Blood Part Two over just Rambo. 
Yeah, but why not just Rambo 2? I don't know. Well, that's the thing is the first one wasn't called Rambo. So Rambo 2, I mean, it would make as much sense <laughs> as Rambo vs. Blood Part 2, but I don't yeah, think it's any better or already. worse. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely less of a mouthful. I, I'm with you that it's better than just calling it like a generic title. I like John the fact Rambo. that it has two. Yeah. In mm-hmm. the title, I just think Rambo First Blood Part Two is just silly. Like, yeah, simplify yeah. it. It's a, yeah. it's a brutal mouthful. I mean, they fixed it technically by just going to Rambo Three. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't like Rambo First Blood Part Three. Or whatever. But then they ruined it with Four with Am Rambo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally, a hundred percent. And then the last one is—is is it called Rambo Last Blood or is it just called Last Blood? I have no idea. I think it's Rambo Last Blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was even just about to say, wasn't it John Rambo? Yeah, no, I, I, thought, know, I, I thought it was John Rambo. Oh, God. I, I'm honestly not sure. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. They just kind of keep things easy. Like John Wick, one, you know, John Wick 2, John Wick yeah. 3. Like, perfect. You know, Rocky 2, Rocky <laughs> Well, well, I mean, you have John Wick, John Wick 2, and then John Wick 3 Parabellum. I mean, that seems oh. completely unnecessary. Yeah. Sure, no, it yeah. seems unnecessary, but at least it's still John Wick Three, right? Like, yeah. I feel like it's true. The Terminators, it was Terminator, Terminator Two, Terminator Three, and then I try to tell anyone the order of the next like three Terminators. It's like mm. ridiculous. I mean, yeah. Again, technically, Terminator, Terminator Two, Judgment Day, Terminator Three, Rise of the Machines. <laughs> yeah, that's awful. And, that's and then, uh, <laughs> then they started to get even fancier with the titles. Yeah. All right, can I go like, first my, with this movie? Sorry, go ahead, Dick. please. I just, no, please. Go I, ahead. So for me, I freaking loved every second of this movie. <laughs> I um, yes. I feel like when you think of, or for me, when I think of eighties action, mm-hmm. this movie encompasses it perfectly. <laughs> it's got like the most cut uh, Stallone I've ever seen. Like he is, his muscles He's, are yeah. There's like muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. And he is just like super cut and like he's glistening the entire time. So he looks badass. He ha- he mm-hmm. has very little dialogue, um, but I think he delivers it really, really well. It has like uh-huh. some pretty bananas action sequences. Um, and I feel like there's some like really classic stuff, too, that kind of like holds up through through all of it all through through all of it. And it's got the like military like helicopter like helicopter guys and like i don't know just mm-hmm. like all everything about it just screams 1980s action at its yeah. best and <laughs> i literally loved every single <laughs> minute of this movie yes. i love the opening i love with him because you know, he's in jail from just the first movie. chain gang rambo every- yeah and he's again just pounding away and then he gets called into oh. duty and you got murdoch who you can't trust you know you don't trust from mm-hmm. right from the beginning i think that guy's name's charles napier is i think that's the guy's- yes that dude yeah. is awesome in that role um <laughs> and you just know that he's sleazy and he's you know mm-hmm. there's something up um I love the look of everything. Like they're in, um, I think they're in Thailand and yep. everybody's just like sweating their balls off and everyone's <laughs> shirts are all dirty yeah. and everyone's like covered in perspir- perspiration and everybody just looks gross and nasty. This is already the best <laughs> review of Rambo 2 ever. <laughs> You've got um, the bad guy from the Karate Kid in a really small role yep. who I'm always a fan when I see him show up. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he doesn't really do a whole lot, I still kind of just enjoy his presence there. 
you've got Rambo being very stoic um, in a in a very good way. I feel like this is uh, this is uh, Stallone at his best, where he doesn't have to emote a lot. But when he does get his couple of good lines in there, like mm-hmm. on the phone on the call with um, oh. what's his name, and he tells him <laughs> yeah. that he's coming for him. It's like coming to get the you. best. So good. Oh, that's so good. Uh, you got a little bit of a love story going on too, which is kind of silly, but mm-hmm. when you say little I, bit, like a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> well, I right. love I love the fact that he immediately says, "Let's do it. Like let's have a life together or whatever." And she immediately dies. It's not even <laughs> immediately. Like, it's, it's not even like oh, because like you, I I I didn't know it was going to happen. Um, because again, I haven't seen this movie. I, I, there's parts I remembered. The things that I specifically remember from me as a kid were the leeches. And him getting electrocuted. Those are the two oh, things yeah. that I remember as a kid. Um, and so she's like, take me with you. And he's like, okay. And I was like, oh, no, she's in trouble. <laughs> like, immediately when he said, okay, I knew she was in trouble. I didn't know she was immediately going to be in trouble. Because yeah. she, like, stands up and gets capped. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> like, that was, right there. That was yeah. super fast. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, the conclusion with the helicopter and him playing dead and the guy falling Ugh. for it. And he like fires the rocket out, out <laughs> of the broken Zuka. window. I mean, yeah. the little speech at the end about like the country that doesn't love him and stuff. And that, well, he just mm-hmm. wants a place that can, you know, loves him as much as he loves it. Um, all of it. I freaking Dude, ate preach. this movie up so Ugh. much. Like I could not get enough of it. I just was smiling the entire time. And, uh, <laughs> It, it's like less it's like an hour and a half maybe and i just i just kept wanting more and more and it was i just i couldn't couldn't get enough and then i looked on wikipedia and i think it got a bunch of razzies which is insane to me mm. it's like the people of the 80s did fucking know how good they fucking had it man well the thing <laughs> is like, the fucking the golden raspberries is such a stupid bullshit laughing stock like yeah. As much as I don't really pay a lot of attention to what the Academy actually believes, like the Golden Razzies are just like desperate for attention. Sure. Sure. And I mean, at the time, this movie would have been, pro- I mean, this was like a popular movie that made a lot of money. But at the same time, it was also probably viewed as being like pretty, because this is the era Lucky. where it's like, this dude makes like, um, uh, Rocky, which like wins over the hearts of a nation, and even the first Rambo has Rambo, like, yeah, a real message to it. And this one, like, they squeeze in that message at the end, but for the most part, this is just like an action extravaganza. So I'm sure it would have been looked upon as like kind yeah. of dumb, sure, at the time. But I'm but... just saying, like, in retrospect, it's people people like that that don't realize how good it is until it's mm-hmm. past their time. Also, coming off of the original Rambo, is it's insane that they took this character in this direction. Yes. Because the first Rambo, he is not like this at all. Like, he's a tough dude for sure, and he's, like, pretty badass. But in in, in Rambo 2, he's freaking better than Hawkeye with that bow and arrow, man. Like, that dude is <laughs> can nail anything from any distance in any situation. And the scene with him, like, hunting, when it goes from, like, them hunting him to him hunting them. Oh, yeah. It's in like the mud it turns and all into that. like a almost like a horror movie where he's like he's but he's the the uh, the killer yeah and he's like hiding there covered in mud and he pops out of the out of the the river and it's just like oh that stuff is so badass I just loved everything about this movie. So Jesse thought it was pretty good. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just watched it and I was like, God, I need more. I just need more of this in my life. Well, lucky it for you, there's like, three more of them. I know, <laughs> but I don't think any of them are going to match up to this one. <laughs> I'd be curious to actually hear, because I haven't seen three since probably I was a kid. Yeah. But I'm curious, like, how much farther it goes. Because like you said, like, I've only seen the first one a couple times. And what I just, like, remember, like, tonally, it from what I remember, it yeah. just feels like more of a, like, psychological, you know, man on the run, whatever kind of thing, where... They totally like flip the script, it feels like, and just go straight action. So it actually even makes sense that it's like James Cameron had something to do with that, you know, because like he did it with Alien as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was like just like interesting to me is like how that all worked out. And like, because I feel like nowadays I can't really equate it with any other property that like something that like took such a drastic turn from the original to the sequel. I'm sure there's plenty of examples. I just can't think of any, but. Yeah. But I think it's great. I mean, it's like the quintessential action movie. Yes. It feels like. I feel like the scenes with him just like blowing people away shirtless with the machine mm-hmm. gun is, yeah. for, I guess for me, like what I think of, what I picture as action a movie. Like this is the action movie to me where it's just him in the jungle just blowing people away with his giant machine gun. And I, I can't get mm-hmm. enough of it. And there's even good moments where like, Rambo, when he gets on the uh, the helicopter to go on the mission, and he talks to his commander, who that who that guy is also awesome. He's in a couple of the Rambos too, mm-hmm. and he he like calls out that Murdoch gave him false information because he knows like oh yeah yeah. So that's kind of like how he knows that he's a liar. That mm-hmm. stuff is so good. But man, the scene where he gets tortured and then his girlfriend is happens to be underneath, ready to yeah, go. Yeah. And then he make finally makes the call. He's such a good guy. He'll take all the torture all day long. But as soon as they threaten one of the POWs, he like mm-hmm. you know jumps into action. It's so true. Uh, yeah. But that call where he's like, "I'm coming for you." Oh man! And then headbutts, <laughs> and then it just goes. Yeah. Oh man! How can you not? How can you not just like watch that and just have a giant smile on your face? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big Rambo action. It really is. And like you said. I think I just laughed out loud when the girlfriend got it immediately. Yeah. Like she literally, I think, like you said, I think she stands up and gets shot. <laughs> yeah, she's like, they go. kiss, <laughs> she gets up, up and right like walks out into the open and immediately yeah. gets gunned down. <laughs> and it's funny, like she walks out into the open, guy shoots her and kills her immediately. Rambo walks out and then like four guys are shooting at him with machine guns and none of them can hit him. And then he like stands <laughs> oh, up and yeah. calls them yeah. immediately. Like action movie logic. <laughs> that woman just had to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I really liked her too. She was awesome in the movie too, though. I, I yeah, don't know who yeah. she is, but I really liked her. I like that she, you know, she ends up getting fridged, but the fact that she wasn't just like a damsel in stress the entire time, like yeah. she was a pretty badass uh, secondary character, was I, I enjoyed that. It sucks that she died, and it made sense, I guess, mm-hmm. context for what the story is, and like Rambo can't be happy, but um, right. I think I was reading originally there was supposed to be like a computer guy that was his like back. Like a well, sidekick. Yeah, the thing that I'm curious about is if she was even in James Cameron's original script. So uh, basically, I think it was one of the producers of Aliens um, who would eventually become one of the producers on Aliens. Maybe David Geiler uh, knew James Cameron and threw him the gig of writing the script for this. And the producers explicitly wanted Rambo to go hunting for POWs in Vietnam 
And one of the things they wanted, which he wrote into the script at their behest, was for Rambo to have a sidekick. And then Stallone, when he got his hands on it, he vetoed that idea. And I wonder if the sidekick didn't turn into the Mm. female character. Yeah. Agent Ko Fung Bao, whatever her name is, Julia Nixon. You'd almost have to think it definitely did. Yeah. But yeah, like from what I read, uh, Stallone didn't like the idea of the sidekick because uh, he got like all the good lines. And then Mm. apparently they wanted him to be like a techie sidekick. The the one person I heard as a name that got thrown out there was John Travolta. (laughs) Like imagine John Travolta being like the, the, quippy tech guy walking around with Rambo in the jungle. That's silly. Yeah. So Stallone got rid of that idea. And then James Cameron has been quoted as saying, I only wrote the action and Stallone wrote the politics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. It's pretty funny. There's, there's something else about this movie that I really enjoyed. And I think it's more uh, of the era as well. And that is the slow burn. Like, there is a ton of action in the movie, but it takes a while to get to like the oh, balls to the yeah. wall action. Cause you got like him, the setup, they take the time to like set up what's going on. Uh, there's a little bit of action as he gets caught on the helicopter, but that was just a way to, for him to get rid of his. So he didn't mm-hmm. have all of his the weapons. Stuff he needed. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then they like, they get to the camp, but it's all like stealth and they try to leave. And so, uh, you know, they go to the pirates and the pirates betray him and you get like a little, again, a little bit of action here and there, but it, it's not until she dies that the action goes like balls yeah. to the wall nuts. And then it's like a half an hour yeah. action scene. I, I just love the kind of slow burn and slow build up to it as opposed to a, a, what, a, what a lot of modern movies do is just kind of throw it all out there and. Well, part of the reason that they can get away with the slow burn, too, is it doesn't feel that slow since the movie's only like 90 minutes long. These yeah. days, everything has to be right. two hours. So if you have a slow burn, by the time you get to the half hour climax at the end, it's already been the full length of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's I true. think that's so smart. Like, don't make the mo- don't make the movies two hours. Like, movies don't have to be two yes. hours. Yes. Uh, hour and a half. This is like perfect for what this I mean, movie is. We go is. on and on, I, I think, here about like that 90 minute runtime is perfect. Yep. Yeah, for a movie, like an action movie or a comedy, like, you know, I'm cool with like a drama or a mob movie that's like two, two and a half sure. hours long or something. But the majority of the time, unless we're talking like an MCU movie or something, like a John Wick mm-hmm. movie or whatever these days should be no longer than like an hour and 40 minutes for the most part. Yeah. Fast and the Furious yeah. is a prime example. A Fast and the Furious movie should never be... <laughs> longer than an hour and 45. Like I don't know. Those movies max. have more continuity than the MCU. So sometimes they may need it. They should, 145 yeah. max is a Fast and Furious movie should be. Mm-hmm. But they're not. Like, they're like two and a half hours. It's like, right. come on, man. 225. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. just the way everything has gone these days. And that is sure. the exact opposite of the way things were in the 80s. And the 80s had all the best genre movies. So Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's keep them high and tight, you know? Mm-hmm. Not all this extra. So are you guys as high? Am I? I'm super high on this movie. I don't know if you guys feel the exact same way. Uh, yeah, I pretty much am. I mean, I thought I had a blast watching it. I didn't remember what to expect. I was like, I kind of had going in, wasn't sure if I was going to have like rose colored glasses. Like I always just remember, like I don't remember anything nearly from Rambo Three. I just know it's in the desert. There's like some more like helicopter action. I think he's like rescuing Colonel Troutman in that one or something. Yeah, mm. it's something like that. It sounds and right. then and at the end of the so movie, the other... they like thank the Taliban. Right. What? Which is pretty famous. Oh yeah. <laughs> what? Holy crap! Don't tell me anymore. I gotta watch this movie. 
Yeah, there's like a, th- a credit at the end of the movie that's like, you know, uh, we give all of our love and support to our mm-hmm. friends in the Taliban or something like that. <laughs> right. Because, like, thank you to the courageous people of the Taliban yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, like, man. I, yeah, I'd be actually curious to see if that's even on that version. That's why I said, like, maybe that's why they never show it anymore and they used to because it was, you know, when we hated the Russians. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. The so, enemy of the enemy is my friend. <laughs> Yeah, like seeing that one so much, but then later years is when I saw Rambo 2 and like First Blood, so those are like more in my memory, but I was still kind of like, it's been long enough since I've seen Rambo 2 and just like, you know, seen so many movies at this point, like how how into it am I going to be? But it was kind of just like, I felt the same way because I was almost, I don't even try to think like how much dialogue did he even have in the first like 45 minutes? Not yeah. a lot, but he's just got like that Presence. steely gaze that's, yeah. you know, that Stallone look that was just like, I was eating it up too. And like, you know, there's bad guys on both sides is the, the, in the jungle. And then like the, even the guys on his side, quote unquote. And like you said, the, the helicopter guy from Karate Kid. There's even that one, the one guy with the sunglasses and the mustache. He's like the sweaty CIA spook or whatever. You know, like he doesn't say anything either. It's just like, just like eating it up from that, from that time period. It's kind of the same way, especially when she dies and he like, you know, he ties on the red oh, bandana yeah. and he puts her, he puts her necklace on. It's just like he's got the knife. It's just like all that quintessential action stuff. I was the same way. I was just like grinning ear to ear because I was like, I know it's coming. Then he start, you know, he's they keep using like that same shot of him putting the explosive arrows, the explosive <laughs> ends on the arrows, and he's just lighting people up. It's just like, you know, even when he he shoots up the the headquarters at the end, and him just holding that big that you know the helicopter gun and holding the ammo. It's just like I feel like these these things have been like spoofed to death yes. and like they come every almost everything comes from Rambo too. <laughs> like no well, I think that this, like, this is you know there's there's like the buddy cop style movies and then there's more like high tech sci-fi stuff from the 80s as well but I think that down and dirty just like for a lot of people when they think action film this is the one like this yep. is the movie that gets spoofed in stuff like UHF and whatever like there's multiple Rambo films mm. but this is the one like shirtless guy right. in the jungle mowing people down with a gigantic machine gun like yeah it's it all comes back to Rambo too <laughs> which is so funny because again coming off that first one I feel like when people think of Rambo they think of this oh, yes. as like the first Rambo yeah. Like it's yeah. it's the second movie, but the first movie is so different. That's not the Rambo that people picture in their minds. Right, like pop culture's version of Rambo. Yeah, I think it's akin to people growing up and watching like Friday the Thirteenth Four, Friday the Thirteenth Five, and then they go back and watch the first one. It's like, oh, Jason's not even in this. The killer's Jason's mm-hmm. mom. It's like people know from seeing it on TV or whatever, Rambo Two, Rambo Three, and then you watch the first one and it's like, whoa, this is like a almost like a seventies drama. <laughs> In a manner yeah. of speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I uh, I mean, I had a blast with it as well. Uh, I don't think I was riding quite as high as Jesse was, but I mean, this is a, a quintessential awesome action movie. You also mm-hmm. had seen it before, too. So yeah, I mean, it had been a while, but yes, I, I had seen it before. I mean, it is just waiting for all that action to come. And it's funny, it had been long enough since I'd seen it <laughs> that the thing that really took me by surprise is it's like it's not enough 
that we have like the Vietnamese army to fight. They had to bring in Russians because <laughs> Russians. it was the 80s and we just oh, like, yeah. hated the Russians that bad. Like this movie mm-hmm. didn't need Russians, but you're happy to have yeah, them. Yeah, but that scene with him talking like where cuz like the the Vietnamese are just kind of like brutal and the right. Russians are brutal as well, but he has that whole dialogue scene of trying to like warm up to 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 Rambo to get information mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, it's so good. Funny thing mm-hmm. is, I had never heard this before, but uh, from what I was reading, um, Dolph Lundgren was originally cast to play that uh, like Russian general. Oh. But this movie actually came out the same year as Rocky Four, and Stallone made the decision to like let him go and hire somebody else because he didn't want to be like he didn't want Lundgren to be in two movies with him in the same year for some reason. Kind of the ego on this guy, man. <laughs> And so they actually had to pay off his contract. So, like, Dolph got paid to be in this movie, even though he wasn't in it, just so they could, like, release him from <laughs> his contract. Oh, uh, yeah. You go. I guess that would, that's what it takes, though, to be John Rambo in Rambo 2 is to have this sort of ego, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's just the kind of thing where, like, I know I've discussed this with uh, Joel a couple times because he's a big fan of like Stallone and and these kind of action movies from this era. But like nowadays, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone are like buddies and it just sucks that like the first time they were ever really in something together, you know, uh, Schwarzenegger had like that little bit part in um, The Expendables. But the first time they were really in a movie together is the completely forgettable, like uninteresting movie Escape Plan that came out within like the last 10 years. Meanwhile, like, mm-hmm. because of the egos back in the day, how great would it have been if the two of them were in, like, a buddy cop movie or something? Yeah, but we never got totally. it because they were, like, so concerned with beating each other in the box office. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, it kind of sucks. But... Or even if, like, Schwarzenegger was this bad <laughs> Russian villain, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. imagine that. Which never would have happened because would... he wouldn't have wanted to play a bad guy at the time. But Yeah. Never. There's No, yeah. of course not. But, I mean, everything you hear is how, like, Stallone was the one really concerned with, like, his image. And, I mean, there's that mm-hmm. story that I think uh, Schwarzenegger told on, like, Conan O'Brien years ago or whatever where, you know, st- like, Stallone was always circling the wagons on whatever movie Schwarzenegger was interested in and, like, competing for those big roles. And so uh, Schwarzenegger was given the script for, was it Stop or My Mom Will Shoot? Is that the one that, that uh, yeah. Stallone yep. ended yeah. up being in? Yep, And like Schwarzenegger hated the script and thought it was terrible and then like passed on it, but then told like his, his agent or something to leak to Stallone that he wanted to do the movie. So Stallone like jumped on it and got the movie and then it was like terrible and like uh, <laughs> Schwarzenegger's out here playing chess. Yeah, it's just so funny that, uh, that uh, that's the way it used to be, but yeah, those egos. It's too bad. This movie also didn't cost a ton from what I saw, but made gangbusters. Yeah, budget oh, on this movie yeah. was twenty five point five million and box office was three hundred point four million. God damn. <laughs> Uh, this was also the wow. first film to be simultaneously released in over two thousand theaters in the United States. Yeah, it's just like right right place, right time. Everyone was ready for Rambo too. Like mm-hmm. and then just everyone tried to copy it for a while. But then the funny yeah. thing is, Stallone has come out and said on multiple occasions that this is his least favorite of the Rambo movies. Really? And I don't exactly know why, but I'm guessing it's just because of, like, the rampant action nature of it. And, like, it, it, maybe it's the one that had, like, the least message of all of them or something. Again, I don't remember enough, but I 
I almost feel like that would be three, but now I'd like, I want to watch that one yeah. as well, just to see. Yeah. Cause. Something about the fact that that one has that message about the Taliban makes it feel like he's like helping, helping people instead of just like mowing down bad guys. I mean, in this one, he is trying to release the POWs, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, but that's, that's Stallone for you again, that weird kind of ego he has going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he is like the ultimate hero in this, like he does everything he can to save these POWs mm-hmm. to save everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, another funny kind of anecdote about this movie is, uh, so James Cameron had written his script and it was floating around Hollywood when, uh, our boys, uh, Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus of oh. Canon films got their hands on it. And, uh, they apparently, uh, were so convinced that it was going to be a success that they very quickly put together Missing in Action and Missing in Action 2, the beginning, and then fast-tracked nice. them for production with Chuck Norris and released the both of them before, like, after Rambo 2 was written, but before the movie was released in order to avoid copyright violation lawsuits. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so I want to say oh, those movies it. came out, uh, like, early in the year 1985, and then Rambo 2 came out in, like, August or something like that. You gotta love it. Just amazing. And the first missing in action is pretty good as well. Uh, you know, it's no Rambo 2, but... Mm, well, what is? It's a good time. Man. Other minor tidbits about this movie, Lee Marvin turned down the role of Murdoch. Uh, I guess they wanted him to play Colonel Troutman in the first one, but he turned that down too. Mm-hmm. I'm actually glad that he's not in the movie, in either of them roles. I mean, Charles Napier just has, like, asshole written on his face. Like, he was perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect for that role. You just, like, know something's up with that guy from the beginning, and... You know, nothing makes you happier than watching Rambo, like, rush into that room and, like, pin him down on the desk and put the fear of God in him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, the only thing they were missing was a shot of, like, urine trickling down his pants leg or something in that moment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Troutman, too, like, there's, like, a compassion that he has. Like, he's not just the hard-assed general like like, uh, Lee Marvin would be, I feel. No, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Like he sympathizes, he understands Rambo's yeah, plight he's like, a bit. He's like he's like the stern father, yeah, more than just like the hard ass general. Yeah. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, directed by George P. Cosmatos, who I guess because of the success of this movie, Stallone tapped him to direct Cobra a few years later as well. Hmm. Uh, which is good. Um, I still want to see the uh, the alternate version of the movie that is allegedly floating around the internet out there that has like more of the violence and stuff in it that they cut out. That's another one I haven't seen. You've never seen Cobra? Cobra. No. Oh. Got to get that on an episode. Put, write Just that down. <laughs> one of those ones. Hey, there we go. And uh, really also, starts. George P. Cosmatos, noteworthy for having directed uh, one of the first movies we ever reviewed on the show, Leviathan. Oh. From episode one of He directed that or wrote it? He directed it. Oh. He also directed another movie I know you're a fan of, Tombstone. Oh. And he is the father of Panos Cosmatos, uh, director of Mandy. Huh. All right. So there you go. Tombstone. That's, uh, that one's got an interesting story. Just quick side note. I think, um, it must've been him, but I was reading that recently that I think like, uh, Kurt Russell took over for someone on directing. So it might've been him. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, it might have been, there might have been issues in the production, so it was kind of like he's like the uncredited uh, director. 
I think that was only like George P. Cosmatos. I looked him up. He only directed 10 movies, I think. And that was like his next to last one. So mm. maybe that, maybe that hurt his career. I don't know. Mm. I'll have to get that in an episode so we can look into it further. Put it on the list. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, any other thoughts on Rambo first blood part two before we move on? Move on. No, I feel like we've, we've covered it. All right. I look forward to hearing Jesse gush about how much he loves our second movie. From 1986, <laughs> we have Black Moon Rising. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Meet Sam Quint. When the government has a job they can't handle, they get him. You are a thief. Hell yes. His specialty is getting in. What makes you think I'd help you? You have an honest face. Getting out. You've got no help, no nothing. You've got three days. And getting away with it. What exactly do you expect me to do for you? Not a thing. You know this man? No. But this time, the rules are different. I'm gonna take all the heat that comes down on my head. I'm gonna transfer it to your body. The stakes are higher. You betrayed me. I only wish I had. Because stealing from Sam Quint is the biggest mistake you can make. Now, he's going in. After her. After them. After the Black Moon. Game is over. I wish there were a couple of ways we could do this. There's only one way. Tommy Lee Jones, Linda Hamilton, Bubba Smith, Robert Vaughn. From the mind of John Carpenter, Black Moon Rising. Oh man, okay, the, the title is so strange. Like, I guess the car was called Black Moon. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. The yes. whole thing? Yes. Yeah, like the black moon part, I guess, I get if that's what they're calling the car, but the rising part, I don't understand. I think it's what, in reference also to the the end of the movie with them jumping. The, where the it flies. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> this movie is so strangely written. It's written <clears throat> by, it's story by James, uh, uh, what's his name? Not James Cameron. John, uh, Carpenter. John Carpenter. Uh, but he, there's a couple different script, screenwriters that are also listed. And according to mm-hmm. Wikipedia, John Carpenter never saw the movie, no, <laughs> the movie either. He has, he has never seen it. <laughs> um, oh, which which is a very sense. John Carpenter thing to do. So yeah. just like, okay, just like, because I, I was trying to piece this together. The, 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 the plot of the movie is Tommy Lee Jones is like a, uh, a for hire thief who steals mm-hmm. some. Uh, He's, it's essentially, this is like the. Uh, the framework for the Fast and the Furious, like the later Fast and the Furious movies, because he's like a professional thief who gets hired by the American by the government, gov- the government to like to, to steal something, and then it turns out involving he- the heist of a car. <laughs> so, so he, then he then jumps re- between two buildings, just yes. like the Fast and the Furious uh, Part Seven. Yes, I agree. So he's hired by the government to steal these tapes that have tax information for this company that has been doing some tax fraud. Okay, so they're get, he's stealing evidence. He gets caught by uh, a a thief who this a company, rival thief who's also who's this company <laughs> is hired, 
And since he is on the run, he happens to run into these people who are working on this experimental car that can run on water, basically. (laughs) Hides the tape in the car. The car then... All accurate. The car then gets stolen at a high-end hotel by... By A completely different, like, fourth party. (laughs) Right. By not just, like, some car thieves, like, a legit company who's, like, like... who has this huge uh, like operation that steals high-end mm-hmm. cars and either sells them or sells them for parts. Or I couldn't t- fully tell. So then he right. has to get his tape back by getting help from the guys who had their car stolen and from the woman who stole the car, who is being betrayed, who feels betrayed by her employer who runs this company. That's the plot of this story. It's so bananas. It's so bananas. It's all 100% accurate. It had been a while since I watched this too, and it definitely felt pretty convoluted. (laughs) Every, every part of it is so convoluted. It's nuts. Like I, I didn't hate the movie. I enjoyed watching it for, for what it was, but it's like so all over the place because it's like a leads to B leads to C leads to D leads to E leads to F leads to G all right, now we're at mm-hmm. the end of the movie. It's like, what the heck? Like, why did all of this need to happen to get to the end? Like, it feels like yeah. you could have just simplified. Like, the car, the the space aged car, did not need to be in the movie at all. Like, it could have <laughs> just been yeah. a high end car, and he could have just been the one that was driving it, and it could have mm-hmm. just happened to got stolen. But it had to have like all of these like convoluted weird things, and the fact that she stole it, and they fall in love, and she's. Mm-hmm. On the outs with the guy, the the villain from Superman three, and it's, like, what the, it's just so it's just so weird. It's all over the place. You do get yep. to see her boobs, so I guess there's that that positive. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, we'd already seen him two years prior in uh, in Terminator. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, the thing to me is like there are like four different connections between all the different characters and plot lines, and you could probably drop like one or two of them. Like I I don't know why it had to be the government hiring Tommy Lee Jones to steal some tapes that he then happens to hide in a car that he then has to steal after it gets stolen by someone else. Like why couldn't it just be that the futuristic car gets stolen and then they hire Tommy Lee Jones to help them get it back. Then you get rid of the FBI and Mm -hmm. like the, the tapes and everything. And then it's like a a little bit simpler. (laughs) I think there's like four or five different solutions you could come up with in simplifying the plot for it to make a little bit more sense. Like you don't need all of the different like ro- steps and ladders and rows to get to all this, to do this. It's like, just simplify it and you're totally fine. Yeah. It, it, and the movie's kind of all over the place with like in the fast and the furious sort of like take of like jump in the car from one building to the other or him, like for them to get into the building, they got to go into the, the empty building. And then he's got to like, climb over like how's nobody's gonna see him doing that the entire time <laughs> well i love that um, they broke into the building two different ways at the same time he went yeah. high and they went low they, <laughs> they went came low. in from below mm-hmm. and he came in from above it's so it's so funny i also felt like in that scene when he's like climbing there's like this sense of dread that they didn't like i get that he it's kind of like frightening but you know he's not gonna fall like there's no real danger in that scene because you know there's no one chasing him 
there's no cameras that are going to see him. It's just he's kind of scared of heights, I guess. So it's like well, scary. I think they were also playing up the fact that he got the living shit kicked out of him the day before. And so, like, he's up there and he's struggling because, like, his ribs are bruised from him being, like, kicked around. And, like, when he's suiting up for the mission, they're saying, like, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't go up there alone because of your, like, mm. the state that you're in. So I think they were playing up on that a little bit. I forgot about that. They played up him, like, getting beat up, like, throughout, right to the very end of the movie. But it was like, God, you never, like, see that either. I always thought, I thought that was weird while watching it. It was like they're putting so much emphasis on him having been the shit kicked out of him. That he can't function properly. Yeah, he got oh. beat up so bad he can't even get his dick wet at the end. Can, yeah, it's true. He couldn't. Can someone explain the opening scene of the movie and like why that's in there? Um, so he's in the he's in the convenience store. Remind me. I think just to show that he's like a cool badass under pressure. Yeah. Right. Like it's just like a, a, a cheap quick, and lazy uh, way to show that he's like, yeah, calm under pressure. Yeah, it's just like a something. shorthand to show like this is a badass dude. He's a cool. Guy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I got that. I don't know for that. I can just that was conveyed properly. I was to probably me. at like the thirty-five minute mark. I was. I said to myself, "Why is this a movie? <laughs> like, how did this happen? <laughs> like, just kind of all the same things. Like, what is going on?" I was like, "I knew nothing about the movie going in. I knew I had a copy of it. <laughs> You're welcome." John Carpenter wrote it. I had zero clue about anything. So going, in, it was amazing because I was just like. Okay, it's Tommy Lee Jones, which I think this is the oldest movie I've ever seen Tommy Lee Jones in. Hmm. Yeah, I'm probably saying. I know he's been like an actor and he was in some TV stuff, but definitely his oldest one for me. Well, it's funny. There's actually another movie. It might have been like right before or right after this um, that was also written by John Carpenter, but not directed by him called uh, The Eyes of Laura Mars, which is kind of like John Carpenter's take on a Jallo, where it's about like there's mm-hmm. a serial killer and there's this woman named Laura Mars, who, like, whenever the killer kills someone, she, like, is telepathically, like, seeing through his eyes and trying to figure out who the killer mm. is. And Tommy Lee Jones also happens to be the male lead in that movie. And another kind of interesting connection, I thought, is so Black Moon Rising is directed by a guy named, I think it's pronounced Harley Cockless, who hasn't done a ton as far as directing, but he was the second unit director on empire strikes back. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that yeah. other movie I'm talking about that came out like a year or two before or after this also starring Tommy Lee Jones, also written by John Carpenter was directed by Irvin Kirshner who directed oh, empire strikes back. Empire strikes back. Like, that's, yeah. that's a weird couple of connections. I yeah, thought. Definitely. Also, does this have one of the worst car chase, car chase scenes ever put on film? Yeah. Which one are you talking about when she first steals the car and he's chasing yeah. her? Yeah. Because there's no sense of what is going on. It's a bunch of like either close-up shots of one car, uh, mm-hmm. interior shots of them driving, or wide exterior shots of one car driving. Do You never <laughs> get a sense. Yeah. I mean, you get the idea that he's chasing her the way that it's shot. But as far as like exciting car chase scenes go, this is uh, this was like one of the worst. Bad car chase scenes. It has a great car death though. Oh my when gosh. that one guy gets <laughs> knocked into the air, and then what they hit him with the uh, tractor they or whatever. Killed the one deaf guy in the movie, like for no reason, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he couldn't hear him coming. Holy shit! Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah, for a movie about cars, in a manner of speaking, it's not really about cars, but. Yeah, the car stuff isn't great. And I mean, 
This I was mean, a it's case. called Black Moon Rising. It, that's the name of the car. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but I mean, the the majority of the movie is like it's like a heist movie. It's it's not like a car chase movie. Like there's one or two car scenes in it, but I mean, um, so are the Fast and the Furious movies. Those movies are no longer about cars, yeah. but you still get badass car chase scenes in those. Movies, I mean, those so. have a ton yeah, of car just... chases, and like you know, that's like a focus of those movies. But that's that's kind of the point that I'm making. Is I'm agreeing with you that. You know, for a movie that has like a car as one of the central focal points of the movie, the car stuff is not mm-hmm. that good. And I mean, this was an example of they're trying to show this like space age supercar, but most of the scenes with it, it's driving in like an enclosed space where it can't really cut loose. And so yeah. there's a lot of just uh, like uh, speeding up the the frame rate of the footage, <laughs> mm-hmm. which looks really mm-hmm. fake. And then yep. Like whenever they're doing something with the car, like running into people or like jumping in between the buildings, it's a lot of like really fast cuts and like close up stuff because every now and then there were like miniatures and things and it's just not put together super well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, liked the car as like thinking back to like being a kid, like a weird like space cars or whatever. So seeing this, I was like, this is cool. It feels so 80s. The thing that surprised me is I read that it's based on an actual car prototype, uh, the 1980 mm-hmm. Wing Ho Concordia 2, uh, designed right. by Bernard Beaujardin and Clyde Kwok, made by the Wing Ho Auto Classique in Montreal. They only ever made one, but this was like, it, it was this was uh, like an actual, it was molded from a real car. Like, can you imagine seeing this car actually dr- like driving down the street? Because to <laughs> no. me- Yeah, no, it's crazy. It, it looked so dumb. It looked like they just took the- like the the chassis off of an actual car and just plopped like some fake uh, you know yeah. uh, sci-fi designer yeah. came up with it on like four wheels like the wheels are the only well, thing about it, the car that looked remotely real yeah it looks undrivable yes. yeah, like really however does. you sit in this to drive doesn't even look possible yeah you had to be like laying back in the seats and i read something about the the stunt driver had trouble because one since it wasn't a real car it didn't have a real windshield the windshield was made of plexiglass so it like reflected all the lights and stuff and he had low visibility and when he was driving it he was like laying back because the car was so low like Mm -hmm. there's a couple parts where you see like a character or like an actor a stuntman or tommy lee jones's head sticking out the top of the car because it's so small like yeah. it's just a, it just looks a weird, weird ugly, it, stupid design that it's definitely that like Sid Mead like era, but not as good as any of the stuff. Yeah, it's trailer, like a bad but, version of the DeLorean, basically. But, yeah. but that's why I'm amazed. It's based on an actual car prototype some guys made, thinking like this could be a real car that could drive yeah. on the road. It <laughs> sure. wasn't a hundred percent made up for this movie. Like there is a mm-hmm. single prototype out there for a real car that looks just right. like this. That's hilarious. Well, it's like how many people, you know, X amount of people made the real one. And then some other person involved with this movie saw that and was like, oh, that's the one. That's what we need. <laughs> how many people are like, you guys are all Oh, they probably crazy. just thought, oh, now we don't have to pay someone to design it. Somebody already made a weird ass looking <laughs> yeah. car that maybe could Holy exist in the future. Shit. All right. Here are my two favorite things weird. in this movie. First one Hit it. is the guy at the bar hitting on Linda Hamilton, who's like, hey, do you want to take me back to your hood place and fuck my brains yeah. out? Like that, that, that guy, I love oh that guy. Oh, God. Then he pulls it on the next yeah, girl. Super 80s. And then my second favorite thing is the sound the lasers make. 
because that is like quintessential 70s, 80s, oh, like lasers. Like 80s like I can't, laser beam noise. Yes, the laser beam noise. Like even like the computer, like those 70s, 80s computers, very, again, like uh, Superman 3 of just that like, <laughs> like noise that the, the lasers make. Oh, I love it. Takes me yeah. way back. I love that the main bad guy, her, Linda Hamilton's boss. That is seemingly uh, like Robert Vaughn of uh, <laughs> the man from Uncle fame. Oh, perfect. So Robert Vaughn had seemingly like built the skyscraper just so he could put a chop shop in the basement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's that. one unfinished floor in the building, and that's just where they're storing all the cars. And he's constantly right. at that building because they... When they go to hijack the building, it's like the middle of the night, and when it's over, it's like the morning, and he's been mm-hmm. there the entire time. The good dude is always there. <laughs> yeah, he's just he all at any given job. time. If he's not doing anything important, he's just sitting in his office watching his like uh, interview tape with Linda Hamilton when she was like a quote unquote young kid because she was wearing a hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh mm-hmm. my my th- my third favorite thing was when Linda Hamilton shot his like bodyguard in the head. And it, it like it was a paint frame. So like, yeah, he's like standing there, and then there's just like this red splot right on his forehead. Oh, that was great. Uh, uh, legitimately, nice. my favorite part of the movie is just the the heist because it was still done in an era where like everything was tactile. There was very little like computer yeah. shit. Kind of like the first mm-hmm. Mission Impossible movie, like you know having the lasers on like the timers to like hit the cameras and all that and like even when he sets that laser in the hallway and he's got like the little mirror that he peeks out the door and shines the laser into it or just him like uh, climbing between the two buildings like it was a you know moderately effective scene of tension for me when it yeah. gets stuck and uh something all that stuff i i really enjoyed Something with that that stood out to me, Mills, you might remember when we, our episode we had with Brian, and I think we were talking about when Eagles Dare. Yeah, squad goals. Yeah, when we were going on and on about like how they like go through all the trouble of like laying in the dynamite Mm -hmm. and like movies of those times, like they'd really like show you like these long drawn out shots of like someone like installing dynamite around a, you know, a part of a building like they... You don't really see that as much in modern movies. Mm-hmm. And in this one, they did it where it's like they kept cutting back to him like with the exacto knife, like cutting open that like tubing thing or something. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that random yeah. part? And I was just like, they keep cutting back to this. Like they really had him with an exacto knife cutting that open. Like it's just like that era of movies where like they they really did every single little bit for real. Like mm-hmm. they didn't fake anything. <laughs> they went through all the steps to do this shit. Yeah, and that's why I like that yeah. stuff. And like, you know, even early in the uh, the scene when before uh, Tommy Lee Jones gets up to the roof and he's running around, and I couldn't really tell what that purple shit that he was running around with on his back was. And then you realize eventually, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's the rope on the grappling gun that that he's got. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's like same thing. Like in a movie nowadays, would just pull that out of nowhere, and you wouldn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. But. And they do the classic yeah. fucking like uh, looping the camera so that the guy in the uh, like the console room won't realize yeah. um, that the camera feed is yes. looped. Classic. <laughs> that every movie has oh, to yeah. do. <laughs> I also love that Hightower from Police Academy was the oh. uh, was the FBI, FBI guy. FBI agent. And then he just shows yep. up at the building at the end. He's like, thanks for getting this tape. It's like, what? Yeah, why, why is where he did here? he come from at the end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just I like yelled time. out. Like, like, what? That doesn't make any sense. 
Oh, I think I might have like fist bumped and been like, "I tower." Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I grew up on police academy yeah, movies, so, did I. so holy shit. Yeah, that was. I was pumped about that. I was. I thought it was weird too when it was like, wasn't he stealing the cassette because they needed it as evidence, like, evidence yeah. in a trial? Mm-hmm. Which I was like, wouldn't that come up that that was stolen totally. evidence? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I think that's inadmissible if I know anything from. Uh, <laughs> Law movies, you know. What did you guys think of Linda, Ham- Linda Hamilton in this? Um, well, at first it was jarring because she had that wig on. Yeah, and I was like, God, what's going on with her hair? But I don't know. I this I feel like this is the only Linda Hamilton movie I've seen besides her being in Terminator stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know her from a lot of stuff. I feel like yeah. in this movie and Terminator, like the eighties era. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. feel like she's the strongest actress. I feel like by the time you jump to Terminator Two and her, she has like more to do as like militant Sarah Connor. I feel like she's a completely different person. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I've never seen her big thing during this time period, like after this movie and Terminator where it was the beauty and the beast TV show with Ron Perlman, which was apparently like hot in the streets back in those days. I actually listened to a podcast interview with Ron Perlman recently where he was talking about that era of his career and, like, I think he was nominated or won, like, an Emmy or something, and that show was, like, huge for a while, and I'd be curious mm-hmm. to see him as well, but her on that show, because yeah. I do not feel like she's super strong in this or Terminate, the first Terminator. Yeah. Like, she's cute, yeah. and she, you know, in Terminator, she doesn't have a lot of heavy lifting to do. She just has to kind of be the damsel for most of the movie. Yeah. In this one, it's like she's got a little more of a character that she's playing, but I still don't think Barely. she's super strong. I don't. Yeah, I don't buy her as a car no. thief, really. Yeah, she's supposed I to be like, I was the street urchin living on the street, and now I'm like a <laughs> high-end like car thief, and I mm-hmm. I don't fully buy it. Yeah, I, I found her to be pretty milk toast, to be honest. Like, yeah. yeah. And in Terminator, the first Terminator as well, but I feel like that kind of played, like that was kind of her role. Yeah, so she's just a little like bit more well hidden you know, girl next door who mm-hmm. ends up roped into this crazy set of circumstances. She's supposed to be a little bit more I, badass and sexy in this one, and I don't think she really pulls it off very well whereas yeah. tommy lee jones has charisma like i don't love love him and everything and i i found his role to be i don't know if i could fully buy him as like this like cool badass like you know i'm like when he, we talked about that first scene talked about like how badass he's kind mm-hmm. of supposed to be and i don't know if i fully buy him in that role but he does have enough charisma that he could carry it regardless i think he pulled off pretty well that like He's a cool, resourceful guy, but he's also like constantly under the thumb of other people and like like smart talking the people who like have him under their thumb. Like, I think he pulled that off pretty well. The thing is, like for a role like this, you know, he's supposed to be the one like winning over the the female lead. And he's kind of a weird mm-hmm. looking dude. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I don't like buy him. It didn't work for me as him as like the charismatic, like ladies man. Yeah in this movie our period like i said like this is probably the oldest movie i've seen him in and because i first i can remember seeing like when i was a kid in like under siege and then i think like a year or two later he's in um the fugitive but in this he looks like to me in this like he's one of those guys that has probably looked like an old man his whole life (laughs) yeah (laughs) like even when he was like you know a a teenager he just looked like a gruff old man so it's like i just don't i couldn't really buy him as Ladies like man, suave yeah. kind of ladies man. I, I just think couldn't. he was. He's just like in his forties in this, wasn't he? He was like, I think he's forty. Yeah, I think he's like forty on the dot. 
Which he and he just looks like he's fifty five there too. <laughs> so. I did read that Linda Hamilton hated working with him because apparently he was struggling with alcoholism during this movie, and I'm just thinking like mm. she was like repulsed by him, but they had to have like these sex scenes and stuff. Oh gosh, the sex scene! <laughs> oh. Can we talk about the saxophone in the sex scene? Oh. The uh, every every movie so... from this era had to have that saxophone. Bananas, I love it. Where it's just yeah. like all of a sudden it gets like that that crazy like sex just like mm-hmm. this is sex time so let's bring out and the, it's like, just the like sex. such not a thing anymore it's just like that it's good extended <laughs> sex well i think it's because <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, the same thing as like all the stuff that was cool in in uh, rambo 2 because it was new like him like firing the giant right. gun into the air and screaming and like the scene of him like strapping on all of his yeah. gear but nowadays it's uh-huh. been parodied and seen so many times that it's like not cool anymore so nobody does it unless it's like yeah. a joke it's and it's the out. same thing with like yeah. the the saxophone in the sex scenes or you know it would always mm-hmm. cut away to like uh the curtains like slowly flapping in the breeze with like the light from outside <laughs> that's what they do in terminator like during that uh-huh. sex scene it's like pans from single boob over to the the curtains flapping and, and like now oh, it's like considered yeah. corny yeah. to have like the saxophone sex scene <laughs> Movies just have more saxophone, at least, but it's a whole. I thought it was also funny because it cut in between one of the scenes and then cut back, so there was sex saxophone, sex saxophone, and then tension music to whatever was like happening. I think they were like (laughs) they were following her or something. Back cut back Uh to the sex, and the saxophone comes in like mid sex. So I still think the best use ever of like the sexy time music is uh, the movie, the Brandon Lee movie rapid fire, because there's a scene where Brandon Lee and the female lead in that are like getting into their sexy time. And it's totally that like curtains flapping, like in the background with like uh, sexy music, but it keeps cutting away to like a bunch of other people being murdered to like move the plot along, but they keep the sexy music playing and it's like a montage. And I love the way they did that in that movie. I had never seen that before and I don't think I've seen it since. (laughs) That's just on the tail end of that era. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like all told I, this movie has a lot of problems, but there is a part of me that just, I, I like I like that era of like heist movie and whatnot. I like Tommy Lee Jones in it overall. I like, I don't love Linda Hamilton in it, but I love the fact that Linda Hamilton is in it. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just like an an era and a lot of elements that I dig. It is definitely not like an all time classic or something, but I think it's like a minor hidden gem. Like most people probably haven't seen it and would probably get something out of it from watching it, even if it's just like how corny it is. But it does feel like something Kino Lorba would put out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so oh, which they did yeah I, so. I don't love it but it's extremely watchable mm-hmm. yeah and it's it would be like a fun thing to watch with your buddies yeah to just to be like this movie's ridiculous and the kind of thing that if the director of empire strikes back had directed this instead of the second assistant director or whatever it probably would have been like a pretty solid movie but mm-hmm well, two for two with this episode. I mean, Rambo two as well. I wish the writer directed it as well to see what would have turned out there. Like, how different would this have been if John Carpenter was the one directing yeah. it? Yeah. Did he write a lot of stuff that he didn't direct? Uh, in in the early days of his career, like before he got Halloween, and like that kind of propelled him to some degree of fame. He wrote a lot of spec scripts. 
Wasn't mm. this a spec? Wasn't this one yes, of them? This was a spec script. The Eyes of Laura Mars was a spec script, like stuff that he never intended to direct himself, from what I understand. And there's even when I was like doing a little bit of research, I discovered a couple more movies that are based on scripts that he wrote that I didn't even know existed. Mm. There's two westerns, didn't write them down, don't remember the name of them. And there's like a, a movie about like killer snakes that all came out as like made for TV movies in the nineties where it feels like he wrote those spec scripts, like in the early eighties and then they just sat in a drawer. And then after he became like kind of a name for doing Halloween and stuff, uh, they like someone pulled him out of a drawer and was like, yeah, let's make this for TV. Mm. So now (laughs) I want to track down those movies as well. (laughs) Yes. And put them on the show. But yeah, I would (laughs) say that this and the eyes of Laura Mars are like the two examples of like, you know, actual films that got made based on spec scripts of his mm-hmm. or in the early days. Mm. My my favorite and as weird it is it as weird as it is, I just love this fucking car in this movie. Just because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I just I do. Gotta get uh my buddy Chris to three D print you a the car from I this. Mean, <laughs> like a little toy. Millsy, you do, you already know. I'm very excited. Uh, uh, it's like I hate it, but I also love it. Does that make any yes. sense? Because it's a, such yes. a stupid design, but it's at least it has some character to it, you know, because those yeah. 80s like futuristic designs are so much fun. Whereas now you could just uh-huh. do it with CGI and it'd be kind of probably pretty yeah. bland. Uh, and, totally. Mm-hmm. You know, it just adds to like the mythology of the movie. Totally. It's totally. a random ass single, <laughs> single made car that they're like, oh, that's we have to have. It yeah. just looks like a black matchbox with a red stripe around it like, and yeah. four wheels. Yeah. It's so weird. Well, it's funny you say it. It just looks like a matchbox car with something they would make that would never be turned, <laughs> would never be a real car. Yeah. But is. I could not find the budget for this movie, but the box office was only 6.5 million and it has largely Ooh. been forgotten. Unless you own the Kino Lorber Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one final tidbit before we move on. Charles Bronson was uh, John Carpenter's first choice for the lead role. Jeff Bridges, Don Johnson, and Tom Berenger were apparently also considered. I don't know if they mm-hmm. were actually given offers and turned it down or what, but as we know. I like them all better than Tommy Lee. <laughs> Tommy Lee is the one who made the cut. <laughs> all right. Uh, time for our third and final film. Please. From 1993, we have... True romance. Okay, here it goes. You know the place you took me to last night? The place you work? Heroes for sale? You got a boss, right? Yeah. Okay, what's his name? Lance. That's him. He called the place where I work. He ordered a girl for you. He said he wanted you to get laid. Seeing you didn't get out much and it was your birthday and all. He wanted me to act like I just showed up. Now, how did he know you were going to be at that theater? Well, I, I go to the movies every year on my birthday. In fact, he called me up this week to find out what my birthday movie was going to be. You're not mad? No, oh, man. can't tell you. That was one of the best times I ever had. It was. You know, I knew something must be rotten in Denmark. There was no way you could like me that much. I mean, I can't tell you how relieved I was when you took off your dress. You, you didn't have a dick. Stop being so fucking calm about all this. Go look in your house. There's a note on your TV, and all it says is Dear Clarence, because I couldn't run anymore. So I just said, Alabama, come clean. And just tell him what's what. And if he tells you to go back to Drexel and fuck yourself, then go back to Drexel and fuck yourself. 
Drexel. What's what's the Drexel? Please shut up. I'm trying to come clean, okay? I've been a call girl for exactly four days, and you're my third customer. I want you to know that I'm not damaged good. I'm not what they call in Florida white trash. I'm a really good person. And when it comes to relationships, I'm 100%. I'm 100% monogamous. You stay with one guy? Exactly. If I'm with you, then I'm with you. And I don't want anybody else. Jesse, take it away. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm kind of like in between the first two movies with this one where it's like there's there's a lot of things that I really liked about this movie. My biggest problem, and I think it's easier for me to identify the problems than the things that I like in the movie, is that it feels like half a Quentin Tarantino movie and half a Tony Scott movie and not quite Mm. either one of them doing their best. You know what I mean? Like there's... When, when Quentin Tarantino directs his scripts, there's like this like Tarantino-ism that he brings to his scripts. Like uh, like if he gave Pulp Fiction to someone else, I don't think it would have turned out the, the same thing. Like if he gave it to Tony Scott, it wouldn't right. have turned into Pulp Fiction as we know it. For sure. No, and Tony Scott sure. has this like, as, he's just like a very distinct, has a distinct look and style to his movies, whether you like them mm-hmm. or not. But they're very Tony Scott, like The Last Boy Scout and... Some even some of the later yeah. stuff that he did that just I don't know they're they they have a feel to them that is more Tony Scott and so it's like half Tony Scott half Quentin Tarantino and neither one of them are really great in either part so I feel like there's things that I really like about this movie and then there's things that I'm just kind of like scratching my head a little bit so well yeah that makes sense to me let me start off by giving the kind of weird history behind the script for this movie this blows my mind have you guys seen uh the hell is it called natural born killers i have not seen that no also written by tarantino yeah directed by uh oliver stone yeah Mm -hmm. so uh roger avery the guy that co-wrote parts of pulp fiction with uh Mm-hmm. With Tarantino, him and Tarantino were co-workers in a video store back in the day, and that's how they met one another. And uh, apparently the way that it went was that Roger Avery was working on a script called The Open Road, and he had like 50 pages of it written and was kind of stuck. So he asked Tarantino to like help him work on it. Allegedly, Tarantino goes away and comes back with like a 500 page script that kept the title open road or the open road and was essentially the movie natural born killers. But it's been a while since I've seen natural born killers. I guess there was a character either in that movie or in the original script who was writing like a Hollywoodized fictional script within the movie about the characters in natural born killers. That is what true romance is. So like, In the movie Natural Born Killers, there's like these two serial killers, a man and a woman. And so within that movie, there would have been another person writing like a fake script about those two people. And Tarantino like included the entire fake movie within the real movie script for Natural Born Killers. And that's why it was 500 pages. Jesus Christ. And at some point he and Roger Avery just decided to split them into two movies. And that's how we ended up with true romance and natural born killers, which is just like Whoa. the craziest fucking thing I've ever heard. Like who, who does that? That is bananas. Yeah. yeah. Quentin Tarantino. So who does that? 
And uh, apparently Tarantino had plans to to direct this movie himself originally, but then after like a couple years of like the project spinning its wheels and never getting off the ground, he kind of like lost interest in it, and that's when it moved on to Tony Scott and actually got made. Yeah. It's got like a, a hell of a cast, yeah, and it's got some amazing. really interesting ideas, and it feels very like Bonnie and Clyde. And I think I was a little disappointed in the ending that it doesn't end with them dying because that feels like they kind of get mm-hmm. away with it in the end. Spoilers, in the original but, script, they did die. Yeah, that oh. makes more sense. And uh, Tony Scott apparently made the decision to keep them alive. Tarantino fought him on it, but then I guess Tony Scott gave like an impassioned speech about how he loved the characters and thought they deserved better. And so Tarantino was like, fine, go ahead. <laughs> See, that's see. This is what I'm talking about when it's half Quentin Tarantino and half Tony <laughs> Scott, and it doesn't really feel. Finding that out does not surprise me at all. So I was watching it, and um, gosh, what's his name shows up as his dad, Dennis um, Hopper. Dennis Hopper shows up, and so he has this like really short scene where he tells him that he's going to California and tries to get him uh, help or whatever, or like get, find out information if if anybody's on his tail or anything because he's like a former cop. And it's like, wow, that's kind of a weird scene to just bring Dennis Hopper in for this movie. Like, that was my thought as I was watching the movie. Like, man, that was such a short scene. Why didn't they get just random Joe for that mo- that part, not, not Dennis hey, Hopper? Hey, remember Christopher Walken's scene in Pulp Fiction? <laughs> like, <laughs> sure, that's one random that, little scene. But that scene is excellent in Pulp Fiction. Anyways, so I'm watching that and I'm thinking, like, that's kind of weird. Not that it was bad, but it just seemed like, oh, man, it's kind of underusing this dude in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like they could have done a whole lot more. And boy, was I wrong. Oh, the yeah. scene with him and Christopher Walken is like one of my, gosh, it's it, this is a classic Tarantino scene. Like, Totally. He would go on and do more scenes just like this. But between Dennis Hopper and Chris Walken, that scene is amazing and easily <laughs> my favorite part of the entire movie. Yeah. I'm sure I'm not alone in that, in that feeling. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but I'm sure people have known this for a long time. Yeah. I've never like, seen it. So when I saw it, I was completely blown away. It was like, this is excellent. It makes the rounds online, like I was saying in the opening. Like, that's the scene I have seen. That you don't even need too much context for the movie no. to, like, to get enjoyment out of it either. No. no. Yeah, but, you could you could watch that scene completely on its own, and it plays uh, by itself. Just but, the two of them acting against each other. Oh, so man. Good. It that, is so this good. is another movie that it's been a long time since I had last seen it. And so, like... At any given time, I would have had trouble, like, you know, there's certain things I remember, like uh, Bronson Pinchot getting the cocaine, like, splashed in his face (laughs) right before the cop walks up to the car and stuff like that. But the Uh scene that I've always remembered from this movie is the, the, it's come to be known as the Sicilian scene. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's like the highlight of the movie, for sure, (laughs) for me, just with the two of those guys. And uh, Quentin Tarantino considers it uh, to be one of his finest moments still to this day. Yeah, I, mm. I mean, there's, there's a little, you could tell why it's, it's beautifully written. It is so, and, and I mean, Walken and uh, Hopper are just amazing yeah, in it. Amazing. And then you have Gary Oldman oh. in one of the oddest scenes oh. I have, or characters I have <laughs> ever seen him play. Also, one of I, the most infamous and memorable things about this movie. Mm-hmm. No idea that he, I, I knew he was a great actor, but to play that sort of like, this character is bananas. He's so grimy and like skeezy. And he actually just like, I felt the same way about him because he's in the professional and he's not nearly as like, 
he's not quite as off-putting as he is in this movie, but it's so good. Like, I think he's such a great villain. I was actually like sad he died because I just wanted more of it because I was just blown away by the character, the setting, just the way he played it. Then just when you think that he's going to end up as Commissioner Gordon, it's just like blows my mind too. But yeah. Well, Gary Oldman Man. is just one of those weird guys where how many times do you see him in a movie just playing like a normal person who looks like Gary Oldman? Like most yeah. of the time yeah. he's playing like a complete psychopath like in um, Dracula. The Professional or he's mm-hmm. like covered in like a ton of like makeup and stuff like this or in Bram Stoker's oh, fifth Dracula. Al- oh, fifth yeah. Element. Yeah, Fifth he's Element. Like he he is he looks like such like a normal dude and he's like such a solid actor. But then like every role he has is like the dude who had his face ripped off and partially reconstructed <laughs> in fucking Hannibal. And yeah. He's got such a weird and varied yeah. list of characters uh-huh. in his career. He's just a fascinating dude. Yeah. He's pretty amazing. I was like very hooked on, I enjoyed this movie. Like I found it like pretty like even like cartoony in yeah. the beginning, which is fine. But then when it got to the scene with like, uh, Christian Slater meeting him and it was just I could just like if I'd almost like put myself in his shoes like how uncomfortable that scenario would be and especially if the guy like looks and acts like Gary Oldman did like mm-hmm. makes my skin crawl I found the character that Christian split uh, Slater played to be very odd because we get introduced mm-hmm. to him and he's like hitting on a lady talking about like the movies, he sounds like Quentin Tarantino, basically, like, oh, talking yeah. about the three movies, and then, like, Tom, you want to go see Sonny Chiba movies? Tarantino calls this his most autobiographical film. Yeah, and then he, he turns out he, like, works in a comic book store and kind of, like, lives there, I think, almost. Mm-hmm. And so he's, like, kind of this nerdy Quentin Tarantino-type character. Yeah, Elvis superfan. Who turns out to be, like, a complete psycho. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> his, like, initial reaction after talking with Elvis is to kill the guy. It's like, whoa, this came out right. of nowhere. Like, uh-huh. this is, like, it went, it goes extreme really fast. Because I was like, oh, yeah. how is this guy, like, because he's, like, super nerdy in the beginning. And so then for him to all of a sudden be like, let's kill him. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, ooh, this is, this is, this is turning on head. And she's, yeah. and then she, like, she shows how crazy she is because she's like, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> Right. Like, I love you, even though I was yeah. I was an escort hired to be with you. Mm-hmm. But we both love each other. Let's get married. I think that it's just the thing that it took for both of them to become like their true selves was true love. And I mean, that's the movie's mm. called True oh, Romance. Yeah. yeah. And it's the like growth. once the two of them get together, it's like uh, you have two chemicals that are like, you know, non-harmful by themselves but you put them together and it becomes an explosive like that's what you end up with with these two people like one in a million their paths cross and then just i i love the fact that this movie is one of those just you never know what's going to happen from minute to minute it doesn't feel like there's a very clear path so it's just i mean that's what tarantino's great at doing that's all pulp fiction is is like i'm going to start you off in a scene and you have no fucking clue where it's going to go by the end of the scene and this is another movie in that same kind of ballpark where it's just like dropping you into sequences with like crazy characters that keeps you on your toes constantly and because of that you know it's not you know maybe the best film ever made but it's wildly entertaining because of that Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. i had seen it before but it had been long enough where like i was completely roped into this again just like what's gonna happen next you know yeah i had no idea characters 
keeps showing up, like Balky from Perfect Strangers mm-hmm. and Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, what the frick, man? Like, every, everybody's in this movie. Yeah. Sam Jackson uh, has a tiny role in the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. very tiny. Chris Penn and uh, Tom Sizemore come out of nowhere in the last act. It's like the most random cops. Yeah. James mm-hmm. Gandolfini is in there. Oh, right, yeah. He was great Just, in this movie. He was really wait, good. Fucking and Val scary. Kilmer? Val, Val Kilmer was Elvis? Elvis? Yep. Oh, yeah. shit. I loved, like fuzzy out of focus elvis <laughs> yeah. i wish he was in it more i think it was Who just the two to kill people yeah oh. yeah this movie's like so bonkers but i was like totally on board because i wasn't sure like because it's got such like a reputation i guess like so for me not seeing it for all this time i just wasn't i was i did not know what to think so i actually really did enjoy it mm-hmm. i'm actually like a pretty big christian slater fan i guess because i liked him with this and i've always liked him in um robin hood Bro- broken arrow actually robin <laughs> hood too broken arrow and the wizard are, are two big ones for me so i feel like he sticks out like a sore thumb in robin hood i was not a fan of him in robin hood rewatching yeah, I mean, that, a couple years ago <laughs> mm-hmm. that that movie just is kind of i love that movie own. i do too i watched the shit out of that movie growing up yeah i grew up with that movie. <laughs> i couldn't help mm-hmm. thinking you know people make the comparisons with uh just kind of Christian Slater's like speech pattern and Jack Nicholson to the point where people have surmised that they wonder if he's like actually trying to do a Jack Nicholson oh. impersonating impersonation sometime when he's acting. I've never heard that before. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I'd have to look into that. I could. I'd oh like yeah. To see I've more heard of that. that. I, yeah, how, I how amazing would it have been if they had gotten Jack Nicholson to play his dad in this instead of, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dennis Hopper's great in the movie. Uh, I'm not saying I wouldn't want him in there, but I couldn't help thinking that this time around. I loved uh, Patricia Arquette too. Yeah. She I'm was not really sure good. what I've seen her in before, just knowing like the Arquette family, but I thought she was great. I thought she was perfect, mm-hmm. perfectly cast in this. She's in a Nightmare on Elm Street part three. Uh, Ed Wood. Oh, that's right. Boyhood. Uh, I've seen Ed Wood. Little Nicky. <laughs> mm Actually, like, uh, like Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. uh, Lost Highway, Stigmata. Boyhood was the last thing I think I saw her in. Right, 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 right. Boyhood. But yeah, she was great. She was like not the first choice. I forget who it was, but uh, I she's shot out of a cannon. Like can't take your eyes off of yeah. her in this movie. Yeah, it's just nuts. And they can't they can't keep their hands off each other. It's just nuts. And then it gets to the shootout. <laughs> you know, it's just like everybody shows up. Oh my yeah. god. It definitely sh- like builds towards like showing like everyone's gonna kind of meet up in this spot. Mm-hmm. And for me, the shootout, I enjoy. There's parts of me that like enjoys the shootout because I love a good squib fest. <laughs> you know, like everyone's mm-hmm. just getting blown away. But it was very cartoonish, especially the fact that the two that survive are him and her. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I just kept thinking, this is this is Bonnie and Clyde. This is exactly yeah. what this movie is. Bonnie, like a version of Bonnie and Clyde. And then for for them to get away with it right. is just a little silly. I liked the shootout, but kind of the same thing. Like if the whole movie wasn't as cartoony, I would have thought it like wasn't enough. To, it would be just weird for 15 people to stand in a circle and shoot each other. But for whatever reason, it just like fit. Uh, what did stand out to me was weird was the score during that. Because it's like weird piano music during the shootout that like kind of took me out of it a bit. And then there's other like surfer vibe music throughout, which I was feeling like, is this just like a Tony Scott thing? Like, it just feels 
Well, apparently Tarantino actually wrote out in the script all of the songs that he envisioned with the scenes, which is a very Tarantino thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember which one, but I read that Tony Scott only kept one of his recommendations. Mm, yeah, but then the, the score of this is weird. Didn't did Hans Zimmer do the score for yeah. this? Did I see that? I think you're right. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. And then he was like, like, for whatever reason, they decided to go with that kind of like take on a classical piano score, like vibe to the movie, which I think works for a lot of it. I don't specifically remember the uh, the music during the final shootout that you're talking about, but yeah, that's the what. There's other stuff, like I said, like that kind of like surf vibe one music throughout that I like, but it's the during the final shootout, I just feel like it didn't like fit for me. But I still like the shootout. I still, you know, like Squib Fest for sure. I was like, like thank God for the '90s with there's like yeah. extreme squibbing all over this scene. Did, I loved it. Did Michael Rappaport die in that scene? I can't remember. No, he, no, he ran away down the hallway. Okay. Yeah, he was like the only other person to get out of there. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Balky gets shot, and so does the guy that mm-hmm. he works for. Yeah, Balky gets shot a bunch of times. Gandolfini's died. Gandolfini's scene with her was pretty. Extreme. He was fucking yeah. scary in that scene. Oh yeah, yeah, like, legitimately. I kind of want to see The Sopranos after watching this. Like this is like the first time I mean, I've seen Gandolfini where I'm like, oh, this guy's pretty intimidating. He he's like a a lot like that character in The Sopranos, like a lot more complex because he's got like sure. all the facets of being you know over the course of the show, but. I'm a big Sopranos fan, so. Whoever the uh, casting director was for The Sopranos, uh, she specifically brought Gandolfini in to try out for Tony Soprano because of this movie. Oh, mm. wow. So, there yeah, you go. He's like, yeah, makes Gosh, sense. Gosh, along those lines, um, Jack Black actually had a role in the movie that was cut out. He played a usher in the theater scene in the beginning. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> he he would have been cool to just have him as yet another yeah. person named in the movie. Yeah. Totally. Liam Neeson turned down the Christopher Walken part, and uh, in very oh. Tarantino fashion, he had originally wanted Robert Farster to play that role. Mm. I think that could have been interesting, but nothing will top Terry no. or, uh, uh, Walken and Hopper together. Yeah, mm-hmm. Walken is Walken is perfect in that role. Yeah, Drew Barrymore is the one who was the first choice for Alabama, but she was like busy working on something else. I can mm. see her in this. I don't know if she would have been yeah. better than Patricia Arquette, but. Th- her during this era, I can definitely see. Yeah, for I sure. I can see it, but I was like all for Patricia Arquette. I thought yeah. she was great. Uh, Juliette Lewis, who is another one I could totally see in a role like this, and Uma Thurman were also considered. The character of Blue Lou Boyle, who they mentioned, which is like the big mobster that Christopher Walken works for, mm-hmm. he had some scenes in the script that they cut before filming, and um, the person that Tarantino intended that role for was Robert De Niro, which would have, again, just oh. been like an amazing addition to this wow. already enormous cast. That's and cool. um, Alabama, the name of uh, the female lead, is named after Pam Greer's character in Women in Cages. Of course. <laughs> I thought was fun. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I mean, the name is very Tarantino. I mean, there's it's a Tarantino movie, obviously, but it's just so Tarantino, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, man, I don't think we've ever seen a budget and box office this close. Like it's so close that it almost feels like this is like something that someone made up for Wikipedia and just like put in there and it's not true. But budget for this movie is reported at 12.5 million box office, 12.6. Oh, Oh, (laughs) jeez. 
So this really so, is like a cult classic. I didn't even know it was like a bomb or anything. Well, the thing is, if this movie had come out two years later, so it came after Pulp Fiction instead of before, you know this movie would have probably done way better, even though yeah. it wasn't directed yeah. by Tarantino. Because right. wasn't mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction nominated, or did it even maybe win for Best Screenplay uh, in Yeah, it won Best Screenplay, but it did not, uh, not, not Best It was nominated for Best Picture, too. Yeah, but I mean, like, Tarantino wins for Best Screenplay. That would have been the 95 Oscars. If this movie had come out that calendar year, mm-hmm. you know that this movie would have done yeah. way yeah. better. Or sure. but it marketed different, and you know, mm-hmm. everyone would have saw it. Yeah, yeah definitely. But, yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, I mean, I again, it had been a long time since I'd seen it. I remembered uh, just being, like, blown away by the cast and everything back when I first saw it, and I think... It's it's a little choppier than your typical Tarantino movie, especially from this era. I think because of what Jesse has alluded to, the like combination of Tony Scott and Quentin Tarantino, who are both kind of like big personalities with like big styles. Yes, um, I think that they do work together, but mm-hmm. it feels a little a little off. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not like they're totally incompatible. Yeah, but it just feels like half and half like a compromise between the two right you can so feel the getting, difference yeah so you could feel the compromise between the two a compromise might not even be the word but just the mash that just doesn't quite yeah 100 gel like mm-hmm. if it was a fully a tony scott movie you could tell if it was fully a quentin tarantino movie you could tell you can tell that it's the both of them together <laughs> mm-hmm. uh so but i do think a movie that you know i think it's gotten a, a a fair amount of play throughout the years, yeah. especially as Tarantino has gotten to be more popular over the years. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, for people who haven't seen it, I think that this is another one where it's kind of like for those who have not seen this, but like Tarantino, this is like a fun little diamond in the rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was definitely on my like uh, wish or like my must watch list. Like it's been been there for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was glad to watch it finally. Yeah, glad to cross it off that list. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool man. All right, any final thoughts about uh, True Romance before we move on and wrap up the show? They should have died. <laughs> That's, I mean, yes. <laughs> let's uh, look at some posters. Well, let's start off with Rambo. I mean, what more do you really need than shirtless Stallone holding a bazooka in front of a giant fireball? Oh, I like that there's like a little Rambo there, too. Oh, yeah. Like, like with a bow and arrow. Yeah, I didn't notice that at first. Is that a painting? Kind of looks like it, doesn't it? There's like parts of it that kind of do. It's almost like they took the picture and then put him painted over. Painted in front over. of the fire. Or, yeah, it's, yeah, or it's like, real fire and he's a painting. Or it's like, it's. I think it's might be the edges, like the, around his hair. It's hard to tell. Yeah, because even his hair looks like kind of airbrushed along the top, like the highlights. <sighs> yeah, it's tough really to do. tell. I would put my money on photo, but I'm not sure. I think it's. I think it's a combination of both. I think yeah. that I think it's a photo and then to like crop out some of the stuff like his hair to give it a more defined look they they paintbrushed it in. Mm-hmm. That's that's my guess. I mean, I'm a fan of any poster that has an RPG on it, so <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it's just not enough of that. But I also like true. that there's two quotes. There's the they sent him on a mission, the cinema fail, but they made one mistake. They forgot they're dealing with Rambo, but then you look at the bottom it says no man, no law, no war can stop yeah. him. The first one <laughs> makes more sense. The bottom one just feels like 
Why, like, yeah. why did they put that in there? It's right. like Just down at the, the bottom. Other. It's un. It's you don't need it. Yeah, and it doesn't even really apply. It's something you don't think about too often. But I feel like since Dax and I inspect the posters every time we do an episode, we we notice this shit. How often mm-hmm. there are two taglines on a poster for no good goddamn reason. And a lot of the time, yeah. neither of them really applies to the movie at all. I mean, at least both of these, in a manner of speaking, right. make sense. But I don't think you needed either. All you needed was that image. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, get rid of both of them, I think, is great. I love the actual font in red color for Rambo First Blood Part Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's excellent font, excellent color. Makes it even more weird because that second quote below it is in like in a brown box. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's super weird. It just looks like it's added like... Like, hey, we need another one. Quick, throw it on there. Also, the second Rambo is just super odd. Like, that is weird. It's throwing me off because, and like, the title isn't centered, but it is if you include the mini Rambo, I guess. But that's just throwing me off because it's centered across Stallone's groin, is what it's centered. It definitely is centered on his groin. Yeah. (laughs) So weird. I like the fact that Stallone is the top of the entire poster, the same size as the title. Yeah, it's not even a Rambo at the top. It's Stallone at the top. Mm-hmm. This is another thing we see a lot where it's like a poster within like a bounding box that doesn't seem to make yeah. any sense. But I got to be honest, in this case, I don't mind it. Like the stark black against the bright mm-hmm. ass like yellow and even mm-hmm. the uh, RPG like breaking the bounding box. Yeah. I and actually like the box, yeah. A lot of times we'll see like a really cool painting that is then shrunk down in the middle of a poster. This being just like a big photo, I don't feel like anything is lost by putting it inside a box like that. I think the poster's classic though. Like Oh, for yeah. sure. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, like like the movie, it's like quintessential 80s action. Yeah, I think there's some things that I, you just get rid of like the little Rambo, get rid of the the words at the bottom. I'm actually okay with the words in the on the top, right? Like you could remove them, but I kind of like them at the same time. But everything else mm-hmm. is just chef's kiss for me. <laughs> was this the same? Was this the same year as Commando? Oh, I'm not 100 percent sure. I know that um, Predator was 87, Terminator was 84. Uh, yeah, Commando might have been right in there. It almost just feels like this is like one of these is the answer to the other one. You know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was right in there or same time period. Hmm. Uh cuz I don't think Commando was after Predator, but it was definitely after Terminator. Yeah, yeah, I believe it was before. So somewhere in that 3-year time span. Huh. Black Moon Rising, it's not the best poster ever, but I do like the painting. It's a uh, Oh, yeah. that does not look like Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> yeah. It's too smooth. It doesn't have all those tiny little wrinkles yeah. he has everywhere yeah. on his face. He's not like a 60-year-old, 40-year-old enough. Yeah, like normal people have like, you know, in the corner of their mouth or the corner of their eye, there's wrinkles from like constantly your face like like squeezing up there. Mm-hmm. But him, if you look at closely at his face in the movie, he's just got lines everywhere that don't yeah. seem to apply They're to any there. muscles or anything. He's just, he's just like, he looks like uh, leather that's been out in the sun too long. Yeah. And this does not have mm-hmm. that look. It's too like smooth looking. It's not the years, it's the mileage. <laughs> and there's a cardinal sin I feel like this poster is making that is just super bothers me. Mm-hmm. And that's the screenplay by line. So you have John, you have the three names. Oh, and everything, breaking off to the right. Everything fits under the title. 
except for that one name that just randomly is just sticking out like a sore damn thumb. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if I'd have noticed that and pointed it out, but you're right. Now that you've said it, I can't not look at it. Yeah. It's just, just go to the next line. Just put it on the next line. You have space. Right. Like they went out of their way to get the type to follow the rising like semicircle. Mm hmm. That then, then they just have that sticking out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, don't fully love the actual font, but I mean, it kind of fits the aesthetic of the of the the whole poster. Yeah, uh, it looks more like a paperback novel than it does a movie poster, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. No, I mean, even look at the likenesses are not great. If you look at her, she doesn't really look like Linda Hamilton as well. No, that, does, yeah. that does not look like Linda Hamilton. The car does. I feel like they could have done a better job of representing. Like the the, yeah, could have representing the car. I think it's interesting the way that they did the uh, the two buildings and the one that's in the foreground almost just looks like pixelated for some reason. Like, right. I don't understand why they did it, but I kind of yeah. like it. Like, it just didn't feel like painting a proper. Aesthetically kind of interesting, but it also, the fact that it, like, bleeds into Tommy Lee Jones is just odd. It like, makes I'd it like feel like it's overall... a movie about computer hackers or something. Yeah. Or it's going to space. Yeah, they push in, like, a sci-fi feel, but this yeah. movie is not a sci-fi movie. No, not at all. And so, like, I love the color theme, the blues and the purples and everything, and the fact that Tommy Lee Jones does pop a little bit more because of how warm he is. So I, I feel like the there's a lot of really good ideas, but overall it's just kind of a bunch of just random blotness. Yeah. And then you, have, again, have the quote at the top, which does not need to be there at all. No. And again, that that's even off because the ellipses on the first line like go past. <laughs> oh yeah, why why is that? <laughs> that's awful. Meet Sam Quint. Stealing from him is the biggest mistake you can make. <laughs> Which is that doesn't apply when nobody steals from him. That's, that is one of those taglines that means nothing. Like it's completely unnecessary. Yeah, who stole from him? He, he stole. I guess just the car, I guess. I mean, they didn't steal the car from him. Wasn't even they didn't car. know that the thing he had in the car was, was there. <laughs> he just happened to put the stuff in the car. I feel like the logo for the movie, like the title should be bigger. It's just kind of tiny down there in the corner. Yeah, like all the hierarchy of everything is way off in this. Yeah. It also just doesn't give, because you got like this sci-fi car and you got the pixelated building. So you have this like sort of like sci-fi aesthetic going. But the title does not say sci-fi at all. So, no. Well, the thing is, looking at the title of the movie, you would have no idea what it even means. Because until you watch the movie and understand that the car is called Black Moon, like even watching the movie, I still think that the rising doesn't really make sense. But looking at this poster and looking at this title and not knowing anything about it, the title means nothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it forgettable for me as well. Yeah. So I like the overall just like aesthetic of like a you know, decently painted eighties movie poster, you know, it's not without its flaws, but yeah, I just, I, I am glad it is painted. Yes, but it's just feels like a mess overall. Mm-hmm. And then uh true romance. I mean, it looks like 10 things I hate about you. <laughs> this is the, <laughs> this is the worst of the three because yeah. there's things that black root moon rising doesn't do well. And it, it is kind of an overall mess. But this, the true romance poster is the Lindell Hamilton performance of all the posters in here. It's so milk toast. It's mm-hmm. for a really interesting movie, and you could have done a lot of really cool things. You just have a bunch of photos on a white background. Like, yeah, get out of here with just that. Like 
he's not that just not that into you or something. I don't I don't know what like romantic comedy it it exactly looks like, but that's all. Look at Christian Slater, like the little s- stupid smile he has on his face with the gun <laughs> in his hand. It looks like it kind of even looks like the Photoshop, like a picture of a gun. Like it doesn't even look like he's actually holding a gun, oddly. Or yeah. like the gun, no, like they true. replaced yeah, the gun or something. I don't know. Yeah, everything actually feels a little like, well, I mean, I guess that's Val Kilmer, but that's the most they show of his face. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And then they give like big time screen credit on the poster to Brad Pitt and uh, Gary Oldman and Christopher Walken, <laughs> Dennis Hopper, who are each in the movie for like a couple minutes <laughs> right. at the most. Right. Yeah. I mean, Brad Pitt might have a minute of screen time overall. <laughs> <laughs> he is very memorable in the movie, though. Yeah, like when I when I looked up the poster for this movie for us to talk about, I was a little surprised. Like, I don't feel like I've ever seen this poster before. I'm much more familiar with what I guess the is box they, art. The, the, the box DVD art, where it's just like yeah. a big shot of like them and like uh, Christian Slater's holding up a gun and they're almost like creeping around a corner. Mm-hmm. I was surprised when I pulled this up, too. Which isn't necessarily better and doesn't like, you know, say a whole lot about the movie, but it's more appealing than this like weird photos falling at yeah. you through white nothing. Yeah. Like if you just like glanced at this, you'd miss the guns and you would like just think like it's a date movie or something almost. Yeah. You the know? DVD cover is way better. It's not mm-hmm. great, but it's way better than it's better than mm-hmm. this. It's so boring. It doesn't do the movie any justice at all brutal it's brutal yeah millsy break it down for the people uh can i rate them yeah yeah yes absolutely by all means you're the guest uh do the ratings for us okay so but the worst one obviously is true romance so uh i'm gonna give that one bag of cocaine out of five. One bag of cocaine goes a long way. <laughs> not, one out of five is not great, though. One exploded bag of cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up would be Black Moon Rising, and that's, uh, again, it's not very good, so I'm going to go with one Linda Hamilton tit. <laughs> and Boy. Stallone's is not, is not great, but it's definitely, like, classic, and mm-hmm. it has a lot of things going for it, so I'm going to go with Three dead girlfriend necklaces. Oh, solid, harsh. Solid I mean, come on, not, it's, it's good, but it's not like yeah, it's, <laughs> especially it's not, what it's up against. Yeah, I mean, three out of, three out of five is not bad. Yeah, no. I think just for like classic imagery, like this poster put asses in seats back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, but but I feel like to get a four, you got to have like uh, yeah, like. All points are correct. Like it's it it put asses in seats for sure. But when, I think when you break it down, it's it, it's it's lacking a bit. But it's uh it's also iconic. So. Yes, I ain't gonna knock it. Hey, three three uh, dead dead girlfriend necklaces is pretty good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like it. All right, time to uh, buy, borrow, and burn some films. Um, mm-hmm. Jesse, would you like the distinction of going first as the guest, or would you like one of us to go? Uh, yeah, I'll go first. I think it's going to be pretty clear where I land. I am burning black sun, right? Black, black, what's it called? <laughs> black, black moon rising. <laughs> the movie, you I told did, you, you did for super, you did foretell this yeah. that you wouldn't, you wouldn't remember the We're title. Burning black moon rising, um, buying true romance 
No, no, I'm borrowing true romance. I was going to say, that's not I'm, the way I expected this to go. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm borrowing true romance and I'm buying the hell out of Rambo First Blood Part 2. And you did, in fact, buy oh. it. <laughs> yeah, I sure Official did. Title. Yeah, that's true. And that's true. I mean, you have to burn something. I don't know like if I would actually burn the, the Black Black Moon Rising because mm-hmm. it was watchable. But it, and, and if I have to, of those three, it's definitely the one that's, that's going up in the air. Yeah. Hey man, that's the way it goes on this show. Something's like got to get burned, yeah. whether you like mm-hmm. it or not. Yeah, whether you toss it into the sun is a yeah, yeah. Story. I'm definitely not tossing <laughs> this in the sun. It's it's <laughs> extremely watchable. <laughs> gonna, right. gonna launch that uh, future car to the black moon. <laughs> <laughs> to the black moon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go next. Mm. I, as much as I do have a soft spot in my heart for the movie. Uh, I am also going to burn, but not fire into the sun, Black Moon Rising. It is funny to think how much of like a prototype for a modern Fast and the Furious movie it kind of is, which yes. gives me a whole new appreciation <laughs> for it, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> but uh, I mean, of the three movies we're talking about here, it is definitely the clumsiest and uh, mm-hmm. least successful mm-hmm. at what it's trying to achieve. Yeah. I do feel like there, you could like salvage this movie somehow and like uh, make a better version of it, but I don't know if it's really worth it at this point. (laughs) For me, I am going to borrow Rambo First Blood Part 2. Blasphemy. I think the movie is a lot of fun, and uh, it is kind of the quintessential 80s action movie, but as we've talked about before, I've always been more of the uh, the Schwarzenegger guy, so I'm always going to prefer personally stuff like Terminator and Predator to Rambo. Uh, Still obviously like this movie and enjoy the action and whatnot. But uh, man, rewatching it, I just really had a blast with true romance. So that's going to slot right into the buy buy section for me. It's just like I, like I said a couple times already, it had been long enough since I'd seen it that a lot of it felt like a first time watch again. And uh, it's just a really fun ride. Uh, you know, it's like the next best mm-hmm. thing to a Quentin Tarantino movie <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's a, Tony yeah, Scott, Quentin Tarantino mashup. So, very good, very good. Gonna go three for three, burning Black Moon Rising. Uh, no launching into the sun. It's weird in like the perfect kind of like eighties way. So I did like enjoy bits and mm-hmm. pieces, even its weird ass shitty car. <laughs> but yeah, so something's got to go, and that's gonna be it. Uh, I feel like the other two, I almost like enjoyed on like a similar level for different reasons. And I think ultimately I could almost comes down to like how much I enjoyed the cast and performances in true romance so much that that would be my buy and borrow Rambo first blood part two. Mm -hmm. I could see myself like wanting to watch true romance like real soon because I enjoyed it so much and just like the, the quirky nature of it. And the cast and just some of those performances, just like some of those scenes, even if it's just like creepy Gary Oldman <laughs> and then the the Sicilian scene again. And, you know, you know, it's just it's been a while since I feel like I've liked such a stacked cast and then loved so many of those performances as well. It was just like I had I had a lot more fun than I expected. I was like, I knew I was going to like Rambo, too, just because I can like remember liking it. And I wasn't surprised that I still liked it, but. I had like that kind of next level experience almost watching um, True Romance. So nice. 
in any other scenario, you could easily, I could easily say like Rambo two would be the winner across the board on some things. But in this case, man, I just, I, now I want to own true romance for sure. Yeah. I, like I said, I still have the old uh, DVD that I bought like 20 years ago, but uh, got to upgrade that to a blue. The lone's ego is very pissed at you two right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which movie had the better romance? True romance or Rambo First Blood Part Two? <laughs> Rambo, man. Oh, Come on. Rambo's was short but sweet. I mean She broke through that tough exterior. <laughs> Rambo was ready to give it all up and just take off with her. <laughs> you know he was right. He's like, Oh, you know, forget the POW camp. Let's get <laughs> out of here. And she dies. So All right. Well, that brings us to the final segment of the show where we find out what we're going to be reviewing next. And uh Jesse, whenever we have a guest, we give our random number Jenny a rest. We have mm-hmm. two hundred and thirty-four current themes available. What number would you like us to do for next episode? Gosh, this has never been so easy. Sixty-nine, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're the first person who's had a reason behind the number they chose. <laughs> yeah. I just <clears throat> I love it. All right. Uh theme sixty-nine for next episode of Triple Threat Theater. The theme is going to be Pray for Death. <laughs> Some of these names. Even though I was there, their creation still This fun. was your your creation, so <laughs> so when we come back in three weeks with uh, triple threat theater episode 56 the theme will be pray for death what could that possibly mean Hmm. jesse munoz take a bow sir hey thanks for having me it was a lot of fun thank you thank you for i was uh i was excited when ryan finally asked me to be on the show and the fact that we got three like Really watchable movies is always a, a big plus because you never know what you're going to get when you come on the show. It's the force. I was going to say, how worried were you? <laughs> I mean, I, knew, I like realistically. I mean, I've watched enough shit movies in 14 years through the Side mm-hmm. Track podcast that <laughs> I'm I'm pretty much prepared for anything, so it's not that big of a deal. But okay. when I That's saw true. the Jesse list, has had know, to put up with me choosing a movie for him to watch every other week for <laughs> many years now. Yeah, so yeah, I'm used to it. Oh, so shit. the fact that I saw like the first thing I saw was Rambo two. I'm like, yes, and then True Romance. I'm like, oh man, I need an excuse to watch this. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've uh, it's been on my list for a long so long, and then I'm like, what the hell is Black Rising? <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the full gamut right there. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I feel like so we've had I, pretty good luck. We've had five guests, and I think the worst anyone would say is uh, Tony was disappointed that Tony. Uh, it was three movies that while he likes them, he had to rewatch stuff he'd already seen. So, oh yeah, we've had pretty good right. luck. Of all the people that should get really down and dirty into the weird shit, Tony, we've got three that he'd already <laughs> yeah. seen. So. We do owe him one. Well, maybe, uh, I don't know, we're probably running low on people who are willing to do this show with us, so uh, yeah, maybe we'll have him back. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I'll come back too. I mean, I have no other podcast to do now, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, that you, now that you don't have to do a podcast, you're raring to go and ready to record some podcasts. I like Totally. It. Yeah. Yeah. This will be your outlet now. <laughs> Triple threat appearances. Well, yeah, thanks for joining us, Jesse. It was a blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. My pleasure's all mine. And uh, yeah, so uh, until next time, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Jesse Munoz. <laughs> thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.